Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Monica and I'm an alcoholic. I am, I'm really excited. And, and Laura, thank you for asking me to be here. Um, I love this program. I have the utmost highest respect for AA. Um, let me let me get into this because I only have 10 minutes. So what it was like, um, I grew up with, um, you know, a lot of chaos and drama, um, a lot of lying and cheating. Um, my dad is an alcoholic addict. Um, and um, you shake the trees, we all fall out left and right. So it's the way it is. And I thought it was normal. You know, I thought it was normal how, you know, policemen would roll up. I thought it was normal how fights would occur. I thought it was normal how yelling and, and, and you know, it was just, it was just bad all the way around. Um, and, you know, little by little, I felt awkward and I felt like I didn't belong, especially in school. Um, and I just grew up with this feeling not fit, fitting in. Um, you know, I used to get pawned off to my grandma a lot, um, to family members over the weekend. My mom, had uh, had my brother and I when we were young and it, it was a struggle it was a real struggle trying to you know make ends meet and, and you know just trying to fit in and be who I was I didn't have my own identity and you know I'll, I'll I'll tell you this much I was a child that was seen and not heard you know I tried to do everything in my power to make my mom proud and happy and you know I was I was just trying too hard and I'd forgotten I had lost myself growing up I really didn't have those fun memories and um what it, what it was like when I had my first drink I was only 10 years old so I had um went on my when I was 10 years old at a summertime break I went to go visit some cousins and we were playing quarters and they were five years older than me three older cousins and um Bacardi and Coke was my first drunk and I, I made a mess of myself I was I was a hot mess and the joke was on me. And so what happened is it didn't progress suddenly. It was a slow progression. And what it did was it gave me this false courage, liquid courage. And I became taller, smarter. Um, I thought I you know, could dance. I thought I was beautiful. And, and, and it changed me. And I, I got into these behaviors where it just, you know, I didn't care. And I started burning my bridges and I would drink just to get drunk. And um, it progressed really bad. And I got into some trouble, especially when I got to high school. Um, you know, I was hanging around the wrong people and they had cars. And, you know, I, I just did so many things that that I shouldn't have. You know, I lied and I cheat and I still then I created that chaos and drama like I knew. And I thought that's what it was about. You know, I didn't have any life skills or understanding of of how to be a, a young lady. Um, and I fell in love with this boy who I thought was the love of my life and, um, come to find out the summer before my senior year, I, I got pregnant and, and this boy was exactly like the way my dad was. Um, and you know, by this time, I, I didn't know what to do. He made a choice and he, and he went on vacation 25 to life without parole. And here I'm a child pregnant. And I'm about to give birth and, and I'm a full-blown alcoholic. So I was angry. I was bitter. I was mad. I was resentful. I was a dry drunk. And once I had her, I waited three months and I was off and running again. And I got into some more trouble. So I, I was introduced to, to AA and, and I, 
I, I came in here in 95, 99 and 2000. And I already created a lot of dirt and a lot of problems. I came in here with get well cards and didn't care. You know, I didn't care how many times I had to pick up garbage or how many times I had to pay a fine or go to these drunk classes or my license being taken away. None of that hindered me because the obsession was so strong. It's cunning and baffling. You know, I didn't even have self-respect, self-love, and I claimed to love this child. And so what, what it was like on my last time I drank was, um, you know, it, during that time, I was, I was living in low-income apartments with my daughter, and um, I, things got out of hand because I started drinking with my neighbor, and, and um, the cops came. And, and of course, I gave them a hard time, and there I go again. And I don't know if you guys have been in trouble, but when you get arrested in San Jose and you go get taken downtown off a of heading, um, back then they didn't have Ubers. They had taxi cabs. So there's like three or four of them waiting for you the next day. And I didn't have no money. I didn't have my, my keys or nothing. And thank God my mom picked my daughter up before the police came. And that was a blessing in disguise. So what happened was uh, a taxi driver felt sorry for me and took me home and didn't charge me. So here we go again. I'm coming back into these rooms. And um, when, I, when I came back into these rooms, I had met a lady in 95 that I asked to be my sponsor. And I didn't take her seriously, used her or utilize her. So I found her again. And she says, I've always been your sponsor. So I said, great. What, what do I have to do? I mean, I really didn't know what else. My, my back was against the wall. You know, when I hit my bottom, I felt like my face hit the gutter and I had nowhere else to go. That hopelessness, that emptiness, I was emotionally, physically, mentally robbed. I had no desire to live whatsoever. So when I came back into these rooms, I was desperate. That gift of desperation gave me an ending to a beginning. And she says, you go to um, 90 meetings in 90 days and answer your newcomer for the first 30 days. And, um, you know, if you if you don't know what they're talking about, talk about your day. If you don't know what the step they're talking about, um, call me for 30 days and I want you to start journaling and read your big book. Read your big book all the way to the there's to the when you open it up, it's empty to the copyright, to the table contents, to doctor's opinion, to the forward, read it all, all the way up to Bill's story and do the same with the 12 by 12. Underline, identify, and write down what you think uh, relates to you. So I did that. And um, when I did the first step, if it was amazing. It took me forever because I didn't know how to read. I really, I didn't have much of an education. I didn't know how to communicate well without having bad words come out of my mouth. I didn't know how to sit or talk. And women would stick with women and men stick with men because my picker was broken. I was just all over the place. She invited me to her house. And when I did the first step, we did all that reading and it took forever. And that was the first time I finally was honest with myself. I finally gave me a chance, myself a chance to really try to see what this program has to offer. And I'm telling you this, it didn't happen quickly. It says sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. It will always materialize if we work for it. Well, I had to work. I had to work for everything I, I know today because of the program. You know, I really had to look at myself and stop looking outward and inward. And it helped me embrace who I am to see all my good, bad and ugly and to know that I am imperfectly perfect. You know, I, I, I know my liabilities and assets are there. You know, I know my truth. I've worked on it and I'm still working on it. You know, today I can see my part and make that genuine amends. You know, today I can look at me and be grateful. You know, I rely on a higher power to validate me not people, places, and things. And, you know, that's the great beauty about it is because I'm able to understand, you know, the person I want to be, 
You know, I don't do it always perfect, but that's okay. You know, I wake up every morning with a, with a gratitude heart and I try to do my best and be the very best person I can be. You know, the promises do come true. You know, we will intuitively know how to handle situations just to baffle us. You know, that's come a long way for me today too. I don't have to sit there. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? And, you know, this program has been such a blessing. I don't, I don't necessarily... You know, I'm not necessarily close to my family, but I've picked my own family. And this is my family. AA is my family. You know, I have women in here that mean the world to me. I'm my sponsor, my sponsees. You know, I get to go to a job that I like to go to. You know, I have my personal family and, you know, I get to be the mom I want to be. You know, I can I can actually make a difference. And if it wasn't for AA, I wouldn't have the understanding or the principles to practice in all my affairs. Um you know, I, I can't say enough about this program. You know, I, I went back to school. I had two more kids. Um, I'm reliable. I suit up and show up for my job. Um, I've worked the steps uh, quite a few times. Um, and it's been a blessing. My sobriety date is February 20th, 2000. I have a little over 22 years. And not once has I, I can say that a drink would solve me. A drink would be better. You know, being in the no matter what club means something to me. You know, I need to suit up and show up. I always get something out of every meeting I get to go to. And I try to carry the message. There's something that I read in the big book that I want to share before I end. And it's on page 417. And it's from the star, a story called Stars Don't Fall. The last paragraph, it says, every day I feel a little bit better, more useful, more happier and free. Life, including some ups and downs, it's a lot of fun. I'm part of AA, which is a way of life. If I had not become an active alcoholic and joined AA, I might never have found my own identity or became a part of anything. With that, I'm going to end, and thank you for letting me share. I hope I carried the message for somebody. Thank you. I'm Eric. I'm an alcoholic, and I believe I was a daily binge drinker, Um, and you know, I, I thought about if I ever got asked to speak at the 45 minute slot, I would be like, what the heck am I going to say? <laughs> so forgive me. My voice is a little rasp because I'm going through some allergies, head cold stuff going on. I don't know what's happening, but um, stayed in bed all day to recover. Anyway, um, what it was like for me, um, I was born in San Francisco in 1963, uh, St. Joseph's Hospital. And I was born to two alcoholics. Um, my mother drank full term. So I was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, and things weren't good out of the gate for me. Um, my father left at three. My mother um, pretty much raised, well, tried to raise me uh, the best she could. Um, I remember the fight that they had. I remember being three years old and, you know, things were flying and um, obscenities being yelled and um, the cops coming and taking my dad and putting him in the car. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted. And I knew I wanted them. That's all I knew. I wanted my mommy. I wanted my daddy. That's all I remember saying and screaming. And uh, it was, uh, it was pretty heart wrenching for me to go through that. Um, after that, after that, my, my mother would, you know, 
um, put me in a bathtub, you know, to kind of get rid of the kids, you know, TV really wasn't a thing back then. Um, and she would bring friends home from work or wherever the bar where she would go. And, uh, she would have them come into the bathroom to look, look how cute he is. Do you want him? And I was like, you know, I didn't realize this until I was later on in life, you know, and I thought, wow, that's pretty heart wrenching. You know, my mother wanted to get rid of me. What ended up happening was, is um, when I was five, she found someone who did, and it was a Japanese family. I lived with in San Leandro for five years. And um, those were the best five years of my childhood I ever had. Um, the hard part was going back. My mother wanted me back when I was 10 and, um, that wasn't uh, wasn't a good thing, but I remember the good times that I had with that family. Um, I don't have contact with them. It was um, a beautiful existence with them. It gave me a glimpse as to what a normal family looks like, more or less, you know, without alcohol and all the crazy dysfunction. Um, I remember taking my first sip of beer. I was. I was about three, I was at a babysitter's house. And I remember it just like yesterday, um, it was a hot day and I grabbed a can of Olympia beer and I popped the top and I drank it down and they all thought it was cute. And I remember drinking that whole thing down. Oh, it was so good. And I remember the feeling it gave me on my throat, you know, when it went down. And uh, I knew that was my friend. You know, I made my mother drinks often, you know, um, she would drag me into bars left and right. Um, so I knew all the, all the local stomps that, you know, her haunts, if you will. Um, so when I got back when I was 10, things weren't good. It was pretty bad. My mother's alcoholism had, you know, escalated to the point where she would come home with a drink in her hand in a cab and I'd be on the stairs with a bunch of friends and all I heard was goddamn rotten fucking kid, you know, um, you're just like your, your effing father. And um, my friends would scatter. I would have to help her up the stairs, um, get her into bed, take her boots off and uh, make her a drink, another drink, light her a cigarette and uh, put the TV on. Um, life went on like that for quite a while. And then when I was um, 11, I had an idea that if I, you know, you know, I hadn't really drank a lot at that point, you know, um, life was still pretty good up until I got to, you know, back to my mom's. Um, but I had, I had this idea when I was 11 that I, I could get a paper route, do all the deliveries, collect all the money and leave and, you know, buy a bunch, maybe of cocaine and, and a bunch of marijuana and I could go into business and sustain myself. Um, so that was my plan. And I, I executed that plan. It didn't work out for me. Um, I ended up on the streets and doing whatever. I was my best customer. I ended up doing all, all of the drugs and, you know, um, found myself um, in group homes. My first group home was Eddie Street Boys Home. And um, it was right across the street from the Eddie Street Projects, down the street from Divisadero Street. And I got my ass handed to me daily. I was the smallest, I was the youngest. And I learned how to fight there. I learned how to manipulate. Um, I learned all the little tricks that an al a good alcoholic <laughs> needs to survive in the world. And um, 
that got me got me what I needed. Um, I ended up in several group homes and foster homes after that. Um, so my this group home I went into after that was a group home. It was Gene Welcher's foster home. It was at the top of uh, Funston and Craigmont. And uh, she smoked pot. And um, we would get like an allowance every week. And my foster brothers that were in the home, we would take this allowance and we'd pull our money together and we'd get a bunch of uh, beers, you know, the Mickey Big Mouse. And um, we'd go up to the park and we'd get plowed, pretty pretty plastered, you know. Um, and we'd smoke a bunch of weed that we had stolen from her, from the foster mother, and uh, figured out new ways of, you know, getting high and doing different things. Um, lived in the Mission District when I was younger. I remember um, doing stupid things like playing, you know, roof tag um, after sniffing testers glue. Um, so I, I didn't stand, I stayed in that home for about a year till I think I was about 14. And then I went to another group home. I ended up getting kicked out of there for violence and um, went to another one and then another one. <laughs> um, when I was 16, I was, I was on a bike and I came out from behind a, a bus and got hit by a car. Um, so I spent some time in UC Hospital up on Parnassus there. They had to do a cl closed reduction on my leg. Um, all my friends came to see me. They brought me cocaine and hash and marijuana and lots of uh, Jack Daniels. Um, a guy I was sharing a room with, his name was Jim Davidson. And uh, he had his back broken every year, I guess, in Marin. They do this thing in Marin High School where they tip the bleachers over and it crushed him and broke his back. But he was in the room with me and he had a bass guitar. And uh, he showed me how to play this bass guitar. And... Um, Boy, well, that room was rocking all the time with lots of people, lots of music. And um, it was just a big party scene. The nurses just hated us. Um, so I ended up getting out of the hospital and, uh, you know, lots of painkillers and lots of beer, lots of pot, lots of whiskey, whatever I could get my hands on. Um, so I remember summer of 78, I kept going, I would go to the hate and I would sell um, joints because I would hop into people's backyards and steal their marijuana plants and sell joints on hate street. And um, I met this guy named Thunder <laughs> and he had really good LSD. And uh, he, he would give us these vials of clear liquid and we would just take that and drop it in our eyes. And um, it was good. You know, um, so I, I probably did over about 500 hits of that in summer of 78. I, uh, I experimented with everything and anything. I was a garbage can, like many of us. Um, so I ended up in a in full cast with my broken leg for six months and then another three months in a um, half cast. Uh, before I broke my leg, I was working at a warehouse and, um, I had worked from when I was 13 till I was about 15 at this warehouse. And, uh, from there, I, 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 I got that job through a psychiatrist that I was seeing through the group home because that was one of the mandatory things that we had to do. And, um, 
I kept in touch with him. And, you know, in the group homes, we had group, we had different like things that we, we talked about and worked on. Um, I didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous or NA, or I don't even know if NA was around it back then. Um, and so what ended up happening was as I got out of the group home, moved in with the girlfriend and um, that didn't last for very long. It was a commune. We broke up and I went back to my mother's house <laughs> and um, it wasn't good. My drinking was already escalated to, you know, where I was drinking probably, I don't know, whatever I could, a pint a day plus beer plus weed and whatever drug I can get in my system. Um, I ended up getting a job down at 44 Montgomery as a utility clerk for a CPA firm. And um, while working that job, I met another lady and we dated and we got a place. I couldn't afford a, a real, real apartment. So I got a room down at the Grand Central Hotel close to the TL market. And um, we lived there for about three months. I saved up enough money and I got an apartment in Alameda. And so there, um, I got a promotion to printer. So I was running in the printing press. Um, at this point, I'm, uh, well, when I got that job, I was 17. And um, I was promoted, I think, when I was like 18 to printer. So I was a pressman. And um, um, my buddy, my best friend, he was a roofer. I would roof with him on the weekends. Um, and how am I doing on time here? Wow. <laughs> so we, um, you know, I, I worked hard. I did, I did what I was supposed to do. I'd show up to work. You know, um, I got my girlfriend a job at this place called Mrs. Robinson's. We ended up um, heisting the place. She, she ended up stealing all the money and getting all the beer and all of the liquor out of the place and um, calling it in and saying somebody else did it. Um, those amends were not easy. <laughs> um, I ended up um, being alone. She, uh, she left me for my best friend who was on the enterprise. And uh, I had a son with her and he was six months. Um, I didn't see that kid until he was 26. I never met him again until 26. Um, so I ended up, um, gosh, having a really hard time with that. And uh, I moved back to the city. Um, I, I got myself a nice little crack habit because crack had just come out. And I thought, wow, this is great, you know? Um, so I found myself down at the projects a lot, Valencia Street Gardens, um, Petrero Hill, Swampy D, and Hunter's Point. And I could go in there and I could get what I wanted and get out. And uh, I did that for a while. Uh, I had no contact with my mom. She didn't want anything to do with me. I had, you know, pretty much burned every bridge. Um, my buddy Johnny, um, who I still talk to daily to, to this day, um, in 1987, he had a um, thing, he had a T 
ticket he needed signed. He had the nudge from the judge. And he said, hey, you want to go to this meeting with me? And I said, what's what's that about? He says, well, I guess got to get this card signed. And um, then afterwards, I said, no, nah, I don't want to go. And he said, well, afterwards, we'll go get a 12 pack. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was my introduction to AA. That was in 1987. That was 1010 Valencia Street in San Francisco. And uh, I can't tell you what I heard there or what I... <clears throat> who was there or what the topic was or anything, you know, um, but that's where the seed was planted. I ended up um, continuing my drinking for a couple of more years in my drug use. And uh, I landed a job up in Clear Lake. Um, I was bartending for a lady in the city there. And um, I had lost, you know, the printing job. Um, I couldn't roof because I was just too, uh, who messed up all the time. And uh, when I, um, God, where am I? Excuse me for just a minute. Sorry about that. Um, Where was I? Oh my God. Complete senior moment here. You went to your AA meeting. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so two years later, I ended up in Clear Lake and I was managing two resorts for a lady that I had bartended for. And um, I had a girlfriend and uh, we were fighting and I ended up really drunk. I, at that point I was drinking about, I don't know, one of those big giant bottles of Papa vodka a day. Um, not getting much work done, not doing very much. And um, I found myself in a closet with the telephone and a razor blade. It was Memorial Day weekend. I believe it was um, the first of September. Yeah, that was my, prior um, sobriety date. And um, I ended up um, calling, obviously, because the alternative, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Um, I figured AA was closed for the holiday. But I called the hotline, about six guys showed up on motorcycles, and they took me to my first meeting. And uh, one of those guys became my sponsor, and um, took me through the steps. And I started getting a better life right out of the gate, right there. I was like, wow. Um, I weighed I weighed about 100 pounds. Um, I had some bleeding going on with my GI tract and vomiting, blood also. Um, I, I got back to health and life got good. Um, I got married in the program and I was married for 28 years. Um, I held, I held my sobriety for 20 of those years. Um, when my kids went to college, I had empty nest syndrome. You know, I was really kind of depressed. Um, I had two, two beautiful kids, one, one daughter, one son. Um, and, you know, my, my old, oldest son came into the picture for a reunion. So I got to meet him. And that was before I had gone out. Um, that was in 2010 when I went out. I uh, 
I didn't drink alcoholically for the first seven and a half years, which is really weird. I figured, you know, how am I doing on time? Well, you've got um, 18 minutes left. Oh, okay. Then I can tell this story then. Okay. So when I went out that, when I gave that, you know, through my 20 years away, I um, I was in my trailer. I poured, you know, I, <laughs> I'd gone to the liquor store is what had happened. And I thought, you know, I could drink. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I've raised two beautiful children. I've got a good job. I'm doing good. I'm married. I'm, I'm, what problems do I have? I can do this. And uh, I went to the liquor store and I looked at a half pint and $8.99 was the price of Jack Daniels. And I was like, well, that's a terrible deal. And then I looked at a pint and that was $12.99. I said, oh, that's an awful deal. Mind you, I only wanted two shots. So I looked at the fifth and that was $23.99. And I no, no. And then I saw the big bottle up on top and lights were shining on it. And I heard horns and archangels sounding and the whole nine yards. And I walked out with that bottle. That was the one. Got home. And well, on my way home, I stopped at my friend's house and I said, hey, roll me a joint. And he said, are you sure? He knew I was sober. And I said, yeah, it's all right. Just roll it. So he gave me that. And I went to, I went to my house and I got in the trailer. And I, I, uh, I poured myself a shot and I had heard a noise. And I stepped outside of my trailer. I walked down the side of my fence line and I tripped over a piece of firewood. And I went headfirst into the fence and my drink spilt all over me. I split my head open and I looked up in the sky and I said, is this a sign? And um, I ended up, the kind of alcoholic I am, I marched back into the trailer and I poured myself that shot and I, I drank it. And then I had another shot. Um, and I thought, wow, this is perfect. I'm, I'm not drunk, I'm fine. And then I took a hit of that weed and man, I lost my legs. I was on the floor all night. I had even forced myself to throw up, you know, cause I thought I, maybe I had alcohol poisoning. Um, so I told my ex-wife what I had done and she went and dumped the bottle. She asked me what I wanted to do about it. And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, okay. And so nothing was done. So time went on, you know, nothing. I, I didn't really, like I said, drink for those seven and a half years. And then some adversity kicked in. Um, me and my ex-wife were having a separation and um, some really crazy times ensued right from, from there, you know. Um, I don't have enough time to go into all of that, but you know, it wasn't happy and it wasn't fun. My, my ex-wife was a deputy sheriff um, and all the love that was there had gone somewhere. I don't know where. Um, I found myself back in the city here uh, and I was drinking heavily and I sought myself a victim. You know, when I looked up an old girlfriend um, not for the purpose of having a partner, but having someone to help me, someone rescue me, basically. I had nowhere to go. I was living in my truck. Um, I had no means of doing anything. You know, I had nothing, basically. I had a truck, I had my tools, but I was still really, I was, I was mixed up and very confused and close to 5150. I was like, man, I really need to do something for myself. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Well, this friend, she she helped me and you know, I kind of I kind of got on my feet for a second and then 
the real drinking really ensued. And um, I was putting away a good big bottle of Jack Daniels every day in two cases of beer, and doing some crazy stuff and working, trying to work, paying for lawyers. Um, so I ended up um, getting through, you know, getting through um, a difficult time with this lady and making a decision that I needed to leave. And I did. And that was on March 17th, 2018. I walked through the doors of Berkeley Fellowship at 1027 University Avenue. And um, nobody judged me. I was back home. Nobody said, get out. Um, you all listened to me and heard me and held me and gave me space to feel my feelings. And it sucked. It really did. I mean, I all the stuff I was feeling, I just wanted to die, you know. Um, but I talked to one person at that meeting and he, I told him what had happened. And he looked at me and he goes, everything's going to be all right, Eric. And I was thinking to myself, how does he know everything's going to work out? How is everything going to be all right? And, you know, I heard the words 24 hours, just for now, just for today, um, you know. And I, I kind of had a glimmer of hope there, you know. So I just kept coming back, kept doing the deal. I got a sponsor within, you know, three weeks. And um, we worked the steps and I started getting a better life. I got myself into an SLE my first year of sobriety. And at 54 years old, it kind of reminded me of my group home days. Um, a lot of characters. Uh, I was in this particular one where there were 17 felons. I wasn't a felon. I should have been a felon probably. Um, but I grew close to a lot of these guys. I even lost a couple of these guys that I was in this house with. They passed away due to this disease. Um, and, uh, you know, it helped me. I complained a lot about it. But you know what, I, at the end of the day, I was grateful, really grateful for it. Um, I did a lot of meetings. I, and they said, you know, do 90 meetings in 90 days. I did well over 360 meetings in 90 days. And I still continue to do that, you know, and I'm just over four years sober. And I'm not bragging. It's just that I like my meetings and I like my people. Um, I do service, you know, um, I like general service. Uh, I have a sponsor, knows I'm his sponsee, and I know he's my sponsor. We work the steps, and um, I'm on step one again. Wow, that's really cool, you know? We're starting from the beginning. He's a new sponsor, so um, get to do that. Uh, let's see, how much time do I have here? You got 10 minutes, but okay. you can always end earlier if, if you run out. I'm going to do a reading here, um, and it's on page 357 of the big book. Um, it's from the story, It Might Have Been Worse. And before, before me and my ex-wife, we split up, I had a gun in my mouth on my birthday, which was September 13th, 2017. And um, I was afraid to pull the trigger because I, I was just, I, I was afraid that I would fuck it up, you know, and I'd be it would just not go right. And um, that's what turned me to this page one day. And it, and it just gave me hope, you know, um, 
And it says, I was desperately in earnest to follow through and understand what was expected of me as a member of AA and to take each step of the 12 as rapidly as possible. To me, this meant telling my associates that I had joined Alcoholics Anonymous and that I didn't know what was expected of me by AA, but whatever it was, it was the most important thing in life for me. That sobriety meant more to me than anything in this world. It was so important that it must come ahead of anything. There are many short phrases and expressions in AA that make sound sense. First things first, solve our immediate problems before we try to solve all others and get muddled in our thinking and doing. Easy does it, relax a little, try for a little inner contentment. No one individual can carry all the burdens of the world. Everyone has problems. Getting drunk won't solve them. 24 hours a day, today is the day. Doing our best, living each day to the fullest is an art of living. Yesterday is gone, and we don't know whether we will be here tomorrow. If we do a good job of living today, and if tomorrow comes for us, then chances are we will do a good job when it arrives. So why worry about it? And, you know, that reading means a lot to me because I, I, I check in with that a couple of times a week. Um, and I've got also other readings also, of course. But that one really, I hold it close to my heart. Um, and, you know, the people in these rooms that keep me coming back and, you know, like Late Show, I go to Drunks R Us, I go to Tuesday Night um, a Traditional Group, um, Sunday Night Candlelight. Uh, I go to a lot of meetings, you know, um, and the people that I know and that I've met in these rooms are some of the kindest, most beautiful people that I've ever met in my, in my life. And, um, you know, it's a hard world out there. This picture behind me, I was drunk in this picture. And that I call that my bottom. That's a 14-foot hole that my friend dug with his, his um, backhoe. And I'm not supposed to be in it per OSHA, but I got down in there because I wanted something to remember. And that picture really scares me when I see that face in that hole. And I don't ever want to be that person again. I don't ever want to feel like that again. You know, I, I just want to, I want to feel the love and, you know, the compassion that this program gives us on a daily basis. You know, I miss a lot of people. I lost my mother. I lost my father. Um, you know, I've got a sister who's 15 years older than me. We don't talk. Um, that's the only family I have. Um, my kids, they don't talk to me. Um, that could change later on. Uh, but you know what? I can look in the mirror today. I'm happy. I'm as happy. I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I like myself better than I ever have. And that's due to this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, um, and I can't, I can't say enough. And I have enormous gratitude for all of you for being here. And thank you for letting me talk tonight.